Last week, if you joined us, then you uh, remember that I um, said that as a kid, I had a great love for Curious George. And this was sent in, this picture was sent in from Kulay. Kulay, thank you so much for sending this picture in. I think it's actually your mom, Rama, who sent this in. Thank you for sending this in. And um, I got permission to share it. Uh, Kalei, I think that you and I have this mutual love for Curious George. So you've got two. Man, that's incredible. I love that. So thank you again for sending that. The sermon series for the summer is called Upside Down, a summer walk through the Beatitudes. Uh, We're going to come back to this a bit here uh, in a bit. I'm going to come back to this whole idea. Um, This is where we're going to kind of camp out this summer. And uh, I trust that you're looking forward to it. Perhaps you saw on social media that this is a direction that we are going this this summer here. Four summers ago, um, my family and I took a road trip. And if you're part of the Kingwood family, then you've heard this before uh, we took a road trip down to California. We did, well, first we stopped at, um, at uh, Crater Lake. It was skipping me there for a moment. Um, Crater Lake, and I really, I love that. I've lived in Oregon all my life, and I had never been to Crater Lake. Can you believe that? It's like, come on, people, people from all around the world go and visit Crater Lake. And so I thought, I've got to do the same my wife had never been before either. We went there, did the Redwoods. We did San Francisco, over to Yosemite, stopped for a couple nights in Redding. I know that sounds bizarre, like what's in Redding? Who cares? We just wanted to have a spot to just unwind. We did that on the way back up as we're on I-5 heading north. I think just north of Medford, we were, my wife actually said, uh, I'm not ready for vacation to be over. Been there before where you're just like, okay, you're on vacation, but you're thinking, I am not ready for vacation to be over. She's like, Nathan, I'm not ready to go home because when we go home, everything is just, we're hit with everything. I wasn't ready to go home either. So we did a quick search on our phones. What's in the area? The Oregon Vortex. So have you been to the Oregon Vortex before? And I'm just curious for those who are here, have you been to the Oregon Vortex Okay, there's a number actually that have been to the Oregon Vortex here, maybe close to half. Um, We had never been to the Oregon Vortex, but we had seen it before, you know, driving by and thinking, what is this place? Well, here's a picture of us at the Oregon Vortex. All I can say is it's kind of this like little quirky tourist trap. (laughs) Like, I'm not sure how else to describe it. Um, You have to go there and just kind of enjoy the humor of it. You know, like there's like bottles, they say, that roll up. Uh, uphill. Uh, there's this house that is slanted that we walk through and it kind of messes with your mind and, and plays with you. There's certain times where you can take a picture and, and you look taller if you're standing on this side and shorter if you're over here and then you swap and then, oh, all of a sudden this person's taller. You know, just stuff like quirky stuff like that. Um, well, the Oregon Vortex and this house that you are seeing right now, it doesn't compete with some of these other houses I'm going to show you right now. So this next house is called Toppel's House. It's in Germany. It has actually toppled over. It is upside down. Uh, This was constructed in 2014. Or there's this house over here. This is just simply called the Upside Down House. Wow, so original. (laughs) Uh, This is in Ontario, Canada. 
Uh, I was talking with Mark, one of our elders this morning before the service, and he said that he's actually been there and he has seen this, this house. And then there's this house here. This is called the Wonderworks House. Now, it's not really a house per se. It's actually kind of like an amusement park. Um, it sounds like a fun place to go. It's in Orlando, Florida. I have never done a search for upside-down homes before until this week. I mean, I've just never thought of it. Like, what, why would I even think about, let me just Google search upside-down homes until this week I thought, I'm going to find out what kind of things are upside-down. And I came across, there's a bunch of houses that are upside-down. What I was bothered by is I've been to Orlando at least three times. I had no idea that this house is actually there. I wish I could have gone there, and I probably wouldn't have paid the admission price, but I would have at least gone and got a picture in front of it. This last house here is um, also called the Upside Down House. This is in Poland. It was constructed in 2007, and uh, this is the very first upside-down house in all of Europe. The builder wanted to communicate the uncertainty of life during the uh, communist reign and how that impacted Poland. Um, I think that he did a good job in communicating the uncertainty. We are kind of living in some uncertain times too, aren't we? Uh, It kind of feels like things are almost upside down right now. The passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning, but not just this morning, for the whole summer, is a passage where Jesus really turns everything upside down. Jesus had a way of doing that. So if you have a Bible, I invite you, whether you're here or listening online, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. And this is the passage which is called the Beatitudes. Beatitudes simply means blessings. And these are the blessings that Jesus um, shares with us. And I would like us to look at them. This morning, we're just simply going to introduce this passage. And then next week, we'll actually begin to look at these blessings that Jesus shares with us. So Matthew chapter 5, and I want to begin by reading the whole passage. I want us just to get um, a picture of what Jesus is, is sharing here. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 1. Now when he, that's Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, and here's what he taught. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This has happened before. Blessed are you when this happens to you. This is the Beatitudes. Can you picture what's happening here? Can you get a picture in your mind of of this moment? We have Jesus. Jesus who is um, with the crowd. And he goes on a mountainside. His disciples follow him. But the crowds follow him as well. And Jesus sits down. That seems really bizarre to us in the year 2020. Um, Typically, uh, like for me, I'm standing up right now. But in this culture, in this era, it was typical for a rabbi to sit down and teach in that way. If the rabbi was standing up, it was almost a way of saying this is far too informal. So a rabbi would sit down. It's almost vice versa. It's actually upside down now, isn't it? Like if I sat down, you might think that was kind of weird. Like, oh, isn't the pastor supposed to stand up? It's just a cultural thing. It's just how our culture works. Recognize that. That's why Jesus is sitting down. And you notice that the disciples come to him. You notice that Jesus actually, and I I know that theologians actually have some disagreement here. But from the best I can tell, Jesus really targets the disciples. He's wanting to communicate with the disciples. Now, I recognize, though, that the crowds are definitely listening in. I I know that because if I just turn the page over to chapter 7, the the last verses, um, 7, verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So these, these great crowds have been listening in. They're kind of like, I want to hear this message. And I, I think it had to just shake them. They were awestruck. This is amazing. I've never heard anyone speak with such authority. This is crazy. And I, I think the things that Jesus was, was sharing were just like, wow, that is, that's quite something what you are saying there, Jesus. I've, I've heard that if a speaker um, shares a, a message, the speaker needs to begin with a wow factor. Perhaps you've heard that too. Um, I, I had only one um, public speaking class in my undergraduate. Um, I had some other classes that had to do with like a lot of lesson preparation, but there was only one class I took on uh, public speaking. I hated it. I mean, I seriously just hated the class. Um, I would far rather preach than public speak. And you might be like, what's the difference? Like, to me, there is such a difference. Like, public speaking is like for show, and preaching is like heartfelt. And it's like I'm communicating God's message. Um, So I I did not like the public speaking class. But one of the things that was talked about was, you know, having like this wow factor when you introduce your topic. Now, understand that this... This here, this passage that we're looking at, the Beatitudes, it is actually the introduction of Jesus' message. What message is it? It's the greatest message of all time. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. We, we can figure out why, right? Because Jesus is on a mountain. And because he's on a mountain, there's these crowds here. He's preaching, and this is called the Sermon on the Mount. 
It wasn't actually called the Sermon on the Mount at this time when Jesus did this. It has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. But I think that Jesus really started with a huge wow factor. Can't you agree? I mean, to hear words come out of Jesus' mouth like what I just shared with you had to be just like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Come on. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who cry. What? Blessed are the meek. Uh uh-uh. uh. Blessed are the merciful. What? What? Like, do you, do you see what I'm saying here? I think there was some wow factor. I don't know that Jesus was necessarily trying to just like, I'm just trying to wow them. I don't think he was doing that. I think he was just trying to communicate the truth. And in in God's kingdom, the truth is oftentimes upside down. So the very things that you and I tend to think, this is what leads to a blessed life, are wrong. Jesus is saying, you have it all upside down. Turn it around. Understand things as I see them. Understand things as the Heavenly Father sees them. And Jesus is communicating This is what leads to a life of blessing. Notice that Jesus uses this word blessed eight times here. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when this happens. The word blessed, some translations use the word happy. And perhaps out of those who are with us this morning, maybe you have a different translation. And perhaps you have a looser translation where it says happy. Happy are you. Um, I'll come back to this idea of happiness here in a bit. I want you to think with me about what makes you happy. What makes each of us happy? What makes you happy? I just think about this last week. I think some of the things that make us happy can be rather superficial. It might be, yes, the DQ blizzard of the month is my favorite. Oh, that makes me happy. <laughs> that, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Or, or maybe it's, um, yes, gas dropped 10 cents more. Like, that makes me happy. I am happy that gas has been cut in half, basically, right now. That makes me happy. Perhaps that makes you all happy. The unfortunate thing is we can't drive anywhere. We're all stuck at home. Like, we're not filling up. Okay, but, you know, when we see gas prices drop, that makes me happy. That probably makes you happy. Or maybe it's, Yes, my Dutch brother's gift card or my stamp card is full. Yes, I get a free drink. Or if you're Java Crew, yes, I have a free Java Crew coming to me. This last week, I went to Java Crew with one of the guys from our church. And while we're there, lady behind the counter, she, um, I pulled up my, my punch card. She takes it and she filled up my card. Here you go. That made me happy. Like, she didn't have to do that. It wasn't double punch Friday, but she, you know, just like, here you go. There you go. You get a free drink. Thank you. Like, that made me happy, you know, but, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it's a little bit superficial. Again, nothing wrong, but it's not going to last, right? Um, Or how about this one? Yes, I have a new pair of socks on. (laughs) Why is it that new socks make us so happy? I'm not sure unless I'm the only one. I get a brand new pair of socks and I'm happy. Like it feels good. Doesn't it feel good? 
But, but see, the thing is, all of these things here I'm mentioning, they can be taken. You know, so like what happens like nine months down the road and my favorite pair of socks has a hole in them, as happened yesterday to me. You know, I'm wearing a pair of socks and I put them on. I'm like, how'd those holes get there? So I had to put them in the rag pile. Uh, I'm going to use them on the car now. Okay, that, and that's, that's fine. That's what I do with my socks. But they're not making me happy anymore. I got to go buy a new pair of socks to make me happy now. Uh, and that, and that's, that's okay. But, but this whole idea of, of happiness, I want you to think honestly. As I need to think honestly. What makes me happy? What makes you happy? This, this passage here, when Jesus is saying, blessed are you, Jesus isn't talking as you and I are talking. Like, he's not talking, hey, this is what makes you happy. I think if he was saying that, it, it just, it would not make sense. Happy are you when you cry? No, I, 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 Jesus' definition for happiness runs so much deeper. Like, truly happy. If you want to be truly happy, if you want to be blessed, um, one of my favorite theologians, uh, contemporary theologian, his name is R. Kent Hughes, uh, former pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. He uh, has said that the idea here that Jesus is getting at is really approved. Like when he says blessed, he's saying you are approved. This is what helps you gain God's approval. This is what helps you understand God's approval. Follow me here. When we have God's approval, it can lead to this deep-seated sense of happiness. Like, like true happiness. Uh, approval can actually lead me to a sense of blessing, a sense of true satisfaction, contentment, happiness. But it is found based on God's approval. Max Lucado has described this word blessed here in this way. He said, this is the applause of heaven. It's heaven saying, yes, blessed are you. Blessed are you. You get God's approval. You get the applause of heaven. When? When you live like this, when you turn your life upside down, this is what causes you to gain God's approval. This is what leads you to God's blessing. I want to pause here and ask the online audience and those who are here this morning. Are you okay with where Jesus is going here? I'm asking you that because in our culture our Christian subculture. How often you and I pursue happiness? Or I should ask, how often are we pursuing happiness? You, you've heard this, no doubt. Well, at least she's happy. You know, I mean, at least she's happy. Or I just want him to be happy. As if that's what matters the most. So the problem is, what happens when happiness collides with God's holiness? Like, so what? We're, we're going to be okay with, well, that made you happy, but that goes contrary to what God says. That does not bring the approval of God. 
You see, I think as Christians, we long so much, whether we admit it or not, we just want to be happy. We're American Christians, and I think in our culture here, we long for happiness. I am not longing for a miserable life, and I'm not suggesting that any of us here this morning be longing for a miserable life. But again, when happiness and holiness collide, which road will you choose? I think that Jesus is saying, hey, you want real happiness. If you want deep-seated happiness, the sense of God's approval, it's going to come in a way that you don't expect. And it is going to come by you pursuing the holiness of God. You pursue the holiness of God and the happiness, true happiness, can follow. The Beatitudes, again, are just simply flipping everything upside down. All of the ways that you and I think. Jesus is flipping this upside down. This really shouldn't surprise us, should it? I don't think it should. Because Jesus often taught using paradox. Like, he was a master at this. I was thinking about a couple illustrations of this Matthew 20 verses 25 and 26 Jesus said if you want to be great like if you really want to be great you got to be the servant paradox that's like completely contrary to what we would typically think I'm going for greatness well the road to greatness is found through servanthood that's a paradox or this one Matthew 10, verse 39, Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake, they're the ones who find it. Paradox. You want to find your life, you got to lose it first. Or Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, Jesus said, take my yoke. Yeah, you heard me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Why? Because I am gentle. My yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden, my burden is light. Jesus is saying. It's a paradox. Luke 6, verse 38. Jesus said, give. Give. And when you give, it will be given back. To you. It's a paradox. Paradox simply means like using our human mind, we think that makes no sense. But the more we stop and think about it, the more we start to say, oh, hang on, maybe this does make sense. Ah, I think I understand what God is getting at here. Yes, this does make sense. These beatitudes here, this is paradox. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's not the way we like to think. I don't want to think that way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are the ones who are blessed. Those are the ones who have God's approval. Blessed are those who mourn. You're kidding me. I don't want to hear that. Blessed, the last one on this list, greatly bothers me. Blessed are the persecuted. I don't want to hear those words. I don't like to hear those words. 
Yes, Jesus is saying, yes, blessed are you. When people falsely say all kinds of things against you, great is your reward in heaven. Paradox. This is what Jesus is getting at. The way that you and I think goes contrary to the way that God thinks. I want you to take note of this. And I I heard this, I read this this last week as I was preparing for this message. Perhaps I've heard this before. Um, If I've heard it before, I I honestly just forgot about it. But it it was kind of like that aha moment where I was, I was, I read this. The Beatitudes describe the life of Jesus. These Beatitudes that Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with, saying, you want to be blessed? Here's how you're blessed. This is a life of blessing. This is true, genuine happiness. What he's saying, what he is telling us to do, is describing who he is. So, as I think about it, did Jesus mourn? Yes, he did. He mourned over Jerusalem. He was, he was just cut to the heart by the way that he, he looked at Jerusalem and he saw spiritual blindness over them. And he cried over them. And I think about Jesus when he was summoned by Mary and Martha, came to the tomb of Lazarus. And before he actually raised Lazarus back to life, we're told that he wept. Did Jesus mourn? Yes, he did. Could we describe Jesus as being meek and merciful, as being pure in heart, or as um, desiring, um, sorry, as being a peacemaker? Absolutely. This is true of Jesus. This is who he was. Did Jesus hunger and thirst for righteousness? Yes, he did. He also was and is righteousness. And was Jesus persecuted? Yes, he was. Did you notice that I actually looked over one of these Beatitudes, though? It was the very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why don't I say, why don't I use this one to describe Jesus? I don't know that Jesus actually fully fits this one. And I'm not going to answer why right now. We're going to look at that next week here. But, but Jesus, I don't believe that he fully personified this very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Perhaps to a certain degree, yes. But next week we're going to come and look at this one. And, and find out Jesus was not necessarily poor in spirit. And I will explain next week why. This morning, I want you, whether you're listening online or whether you're here with me right now, to just think about what you are pursuing to bring about happiness in your life. I think it's so easy for us to pursue the wrong things. You know the things, the four things that I mentioned, DQ, blizzard, and gas, and 
and uh, Dutch Bros stamp card or um, a new pair of socks. Those things are kind of silly. I think that there's a lot of other things that you and I can really pursue, which we are hoping will bring about our happiness. I think that our happiness is usually summed up on a human level by people, position, and possessions. These are the three things that we tend to believe are going to make us happy. So how people respond to me is what makes me happy. So I have a really good week if people respond as I believe that they should. But man, when they don't, it's kind of a crummy week for me. Or my position, if my position is only gaining status, I feel good about myself. (sighs) Makes me feel kind of good, you know? And you might feel good, but what happens when my position is taken from me? Does my happiness diminish? Does it go away? And if I am looking to possessions to be that which gives me a sense of happiness, it's fleeting. What happens when my possessions go away? What happens when the stock market takes a nosedive? What happens if I lose my job? What happens if a salary is downsized, etc.? What happens if I have medical bills that suddenly the money I thought was going to go in this one given direction is now altered and it's going in this other given direction? You see what I'm saying? Are these things giving us our sense of happiness? If we are finding our happiness there, be prepared to be disappointed. Be extremely prepared to be disappointed. Because life goes like this, doesn't it? We're getting that sense right now in this season. Jesus comes and he wants to offer us a true sense of happiness, a true sense of blessing, a true sense of this is how you find the approval of God. And I am just simply asking, what are you looking to right now? What did you look to this last week, this last month, the last three months to bring out about a sense of happiness, genuine happiness in your life. If you look and say, man, I am just really miserable right now. I don't know, maybe you honestly would just say, I'm just kind of miserable right now. Uh, First, my heart wants to break with you. I don't want to belittle that because there there are people who are likely listening right now who would say, I really am confused. I am bothered. I, I mask things over pretty well. I have a tendency of acting as though I'm okay. But quite honestly, right now, I'm about to pop. I think we saw that this last week. I think we saw the effects of people about to pop. And I think the longer we are quarantined, the more people are going to begin to pop. People are growing tired and restless. I am saying what Jesus is saying. Let's examine what we are looking to, 
what we are believing is going to give us our sense of happiness. And so I believe that this passage here is actually rather timely. Because Jesus is saying, if you are going to pursue happiness on a human level, get ready to be greatly disappointed. Because the kingdom of God is not as you think it is going to be. Flip it around and you will find the truth. Flip it around and you will find the truth. Allow God to speak to you this morning. Or perhaps you're listening later this week. Allow God to speak to you wherever you're at. Allow God to speak to you in this room right now. About where you are finding your sense of happiness. And allow God this summer to actually speak to you about what he says. This is the true life of blessing. This is how you will find blessing. I want you to know that. I want you to have that sense of blessing. Jesus wants you to have that sense of blessing as well. This is why he addresses this. This is why he begins a Sermon on the Mount with these Beatitudes. And we're not going to study the rest of the Sermon on the Mount right now. Perhaps a year or two down the road. This summer we're simply going to camp out. In the Beatitudes, this is the description of a blessed life. Do you sense as though your life is a reflection of that blessing? Get ready to examine the words of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the words that you gave us here in this text thankful that we have this 2,000 years later. I also recognize that it is so easy for us to get caught up pursuing the exact things that do not lead to genuine happiness. It is so easy for us to believe that our happiness is found in pursuing things of this world, perhaps people or positions or possessions. Um... God, I I pray that we would recognize that. And I pray that we will allow your spirit to speak to us this summer about what leads to a genuine life of blessing. I long for us as a church body to have this sense of blessing. In the midst of, of a culture which has, I feel this last week, has just gone mad I know it's not everyone. I'm so thankful for that. But I just, I feel like people are confused. I feel like there is turmoil right now. God, in the midst of this, you are able to bring this genuine sense of blessing, of deep-seated happiness. And I pray that we might know that. And also recognize if, if we feel like we are lacking in this area, that we would recognize that and, and know that you are the one who will bring this to us, that you will give this, you will deliver this to us. Lord, teach us. Teach me. Teach me as well. I need this. So, Lord, we are looking to you right now. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.